Ronald Booker was a New York City fire marshal serving the department since 1979, who also was a veteran in the U.S. Army as a Green Beret during Vietnam. By the mid-1980s, he became a reservist joining the FDMY in Rescue One, one of the oldest rescue companies in all of New York. On September 16, 1986, Booker was a young firefighter responded to a two-alarm fire on the Upper West Side, where he fell five stories trying to rescue an FDMY lieutenant trapped in an apartment. He survived this spectacular fall through five floors. A courageous New York firefighter is in the hospital tonight, and he's in for a long stay. His back was broken, but doctors say that it's a miracle he wasn't killed. Booker was not expected to live and could have retired on a quarter-million-dollar tax-free pension at the age of 32. But he vowed to return to the FDMY and rescue one, telling his wife Eve in the hospital before going into an MRI scan that he was going to go back to rescue one within a year, which he did. Over this incident, Ronnie became a legend throughout the FDMY and was adequately nicknamed the Flying Fireman for that fall. But because he was doing paratrooper training as a reservist, he switched positions due to his injured back, which transformed his career by working as a Defense Intelligence Agency analyst after responding to the first World Trade Center bombing in 1993, Ronnie had a personal interest in investigating the matter due to the incident involving longtime friend and firefighter Kevin Shea, who had fallen four stories into the impact hole he inspected, created by the urea nitrate bomb in the right of him. The incident with Kevin Shea was dramatized and also played by George Clooney in the 1993 made-for-TV movie Without Warning, Terror in the Towers, on NBC, which was broadcast in May that year, just a couple of months after the bombing, filmed on location at the crime scene while the B-level floors were still in ruin and repair, reenacting the events where the drama had just taken place with FDMY and Rescue One battling the blaze. Without warning, terror in the towers at NBC movie event Wednesday. The FBI had shut out the local fire department investigations who could have contributed to the federal investigation so Ronnie then educated himself about Middle East and Islamic terrorism and began his own personal probe. He would document thousands of files himself. He told dozens of people over the years that he was convinced that there was going to be another attack on the World Trade Center again. His specialty was terrorism. He was a very good investigator. In 93, he was in Rescue One, and he went to the World Trade Center. He told everyone that the World Trade Center was going to be a target of terrorism. In September of 1999, for nine months, Ronnie was working at Metrotech, one of the more modern, secure buildings in the city, which contained plans for virtually all the major building structures in New York City. It was also the New York Fire Department headquarters in Brooklyn. One day in his cubicle, doing his paperwork, Booker overheard two fire marshals talking about an incident that occurred a few days earlier, where an FDMY accountant claimed to have lost his ID on a path train to New Jersey but that there was something suspiciously wrong. According to the general rule working in the building, if you lost your ID, you had to tell fire marshals immediately, in which they did affirm that when they spoke to this accountant and asked if he had filed a lost access card report, the accountant said he did. But when the same two fire marshals came in the next morning, found the report card filed out, not only was there something wrong with the timing of the report, but it was signed by the name of Fire Marshal who was also on vacation at the time of the signature. As one would obviously conclude, it must have been forged. But by whom? While the fire marshals were explaining the situation to Ronnie, they said the accountant was Egyptian. Ronnie became compelled to act on his suspicions and wanted to know more about this accountant and why they would go through so much trouble to get a new ID. 
The accountant's name was Ahmed Amin Rafai, who was a naturalized Egyptian citizen and an FDNY accountant for 25 years. On a hunch, Ronnie started taking a closer look at Rafai and went down to observe videotape taken of Rafai, which clearly showed that his reportedly lost ID card was in his back pocket when he was requesting a new one, and that later the security video showed him swiping his ID card through the reader and entering Metrotech. Rafai was interviewed later, but gave conflicting information to the supervisor. His ultimate answer for getting a new ID was nostalgic reasons. Ronnie wondered why an experienced, long-standing account would risk his entire career and reputation for simply lying over a lost card. Nostalgic reasons? Or something more? Booker continued to press forward as to why the risks Rafai took. Ronnie ended up commiserating with his boss, who was also Rafai's supervisor, Kay Woods, who is now Deputy Assistant Commissioner, and asked her what kind of employee Rafai had been. Woods in return rolled her eyes and said, the guy was like a ghost employee. He would come in late, take every vacation, fall asleep at his desk, and make calls to native homeland Egypt. He was like a non-entity in the department. Ronnie then asked Woods if Rafai had ever done anything unusual that she observed. Woods said that in the early 90s, prior to the first World Trade Center bombing, while the capital budget unit was being renovated, where she and Rafai were located previously, and that there was a time that Rafai gotten hold of the blueprints to the World Trade Center. A large number of blueprints to New York City, more notable buildings, were kept in the inspection department located inside filing cabinets that were being thrown out into two dumpsters. When one day Kay was at lunch and came back to finding Rafai digging through the dumpsters and found the World Trade Center blueprints on his desk. Woods specifically remembered Rafai asking about the blueprints. Can I have these? At the time, she thought nothing of it. The day of the first World Trade Center bombing, Rafai called in sick. He then became extremely paranoid. Woods described a pattern where he told her he thought the FBI was bugging his garage. Ronnie then discovered from others within the fire department that the FBI had interviewed Rafai twice in 1994, but more specifically, that he had been seen in news footage regarding the mosques and 1993 World Trade Center and Landmarks plot. After listening to co-workers and his boss's experiences with Rafai, Booker was aghast. It confirmed his initial suspicions about why Rafai was acting so irresponsible regarding the ID pass. Ronnie went to a local news channel where he knew a film editor to he then act to view some news archives. And after looking at the fourth or fifth videotape, he found one showing Rafai on the arm of the blind sheikh, acting as a bodyguard, moving him through the crowd while whispering in his ear. Rafai, seen here, with one of the most notorious radical fundamentalists in the world, Booker was astonished. Given his knowledge of the Egyptians and the role that they played earlier with the blind sheikh and the New York landmarks plot and the first World Trade Center bombing, Booker was convinced he was an Al-Qaeda operative. Ronnie rushed this information of Rafai obtaining plans of the World Trade Center and brought it to the FBI in September of 1999. Agents at the New York field office refused to listen to his observations. One of the agents even told Booker, well, we don't see any crime here. There is nothing we could do. He was absolutely stunned at the refusal to even take his account seriously. But that didn't stop Ronnie, as he had access to information the public did not, and he intensely investigated more and kept a bird's eye view on the Twin Towers. One month before the 9-11 attacks, he visited one of the security guards at the World Trade Center and inquired whether there was any new means of ingress or egress 
that could allow anyone access to the Twin Towers from below. Ronnie had made himself familiar with every facet of those buildings, how they were constructed, what was in the buildings, what were the weak points of the buildings. After the bombing attack in 1993, he always said to me, they're going to come back for that building because they didn't feel that they did it right. They wanted to do a lot more damage than what was done. They will be back. They're going to come back. On Tuesday morning, September 11, 2001, after American Airlines Flight 11 struck the North Tower at 8.46 a.m. of the World Trade Center, Ronnie roared down lights and sirens to Liberty Street alongside his boss, Fire Marshal Jimmy Devery. So I remember saying to Ronnie, okay, let's go. You know, it's going to be an all day, you know. And uh, we went down and got our gear. We threw it in a car and we just sped down. We drove down almost to the corner where the South Tower is. It got hit. That's when the South Tower got hit. And then we went along the building. And I remember I seen stairs and I said, Ronnie, there's stairs here. And he said, no, follow me. And all I could think of at the time was, wait a minute, I'm the boss. But you know how somebody says something with authority? It's the way he said it. We went to a certain stairwell and we just started heading up. And I remember it was up in the 30s. One of the last things I said to Ronnie was, you're killing me, I got to rest. You know, he was always a flight ahead of me. He's in great shape. But now when we got up to about the 50th floor, there was no more people coming down. And Ronnie was like a, two flights ahead of me. And I remember seeing this woman on the landing and she had her arms out and she was bleeding. And she saw the turnout coat and she just did one of these. And, she was going, and I had to grab her. And I remember yelling to Ronnie, I'll be back. I gotta take her down. When I started helping her down with 10 flights, and on the 40th floor, a fireman opened the door to the stairwell and he said, I've got an elevator. You need it? I said, yeah. Ronnie actually reached the impact zone of the 70th floor of the South Tower, along with Battalion Chief Oriel Palmer, who devised a plan to put out the fire. The two men were the only firefighters who made it that far, as both were experienced marathon runners. Ten forty five code ones means dead bodies. At the impact zone, up on the 78th floor, Chief Oreo Palmer and Fire Marshal Ronald Buka stay to fight the blaze among the dead and the dying. Palmer again tries to reach members of Ladder Company 15. It is the last time anyone hears from either Chief Palmer or Fire Marshal Buka. But as the flames roared around them, and what the official story carried, the steel is said to have buckled, which led to an eventual collapse. Both men perished as the tower crumbled down to the bottom. Ronnie Booker was the only firefighter marshal in the history of the New York City Fire Department to be killed in the line of duty. Fire Marshal Devery, who was with Booker earlier, had rescued a badly burned woman named Ling Young on the 51st floor and got her to safety and survived. Three days before the 20-year anniversary of September 11th, Fox 5 News Channel in New York did a special news piece honoring Ronnie Booker, interviewing his wife, Eve Booker. When he was recovered, his turnout coat was found uh, 
on a civilian next to a group of civilians by a fire, by a staircase. And she says the pockets of that coat, where he kept all his supplies, were empty. And I realized he used everything he had to help with the civilians. Author Peter Lance extensively documents the story of Rana Booker and his discovery of Ahmed Rafai in his first self-authored investigative trilogy of 9-11, A Thousand Years of Revenge, International Terrorism, and the FBI, The Untold Story. Lance was able to get detailed and personal information from Booker's wife and those close to him and decided to continue investigating his angle by confronting Rafai. Sometime after 9-11, veteran FBI agent Joe O'Brien with his partner, organized crime expert Andy Kunins, went with Peter Lance to interview Rafai for his first book and wanted to give him an opportunity to respond to what he was told. Rafai admitted that he had acted as the Sheikh's translator at his INS hearing. He admitted that he was a member of the Masjid al-Salam Mosque in Jersey City, and that he frequented the other two mosques in Brooklyn where the Sheikh used to preach. During the 45-minute interview, Lance asked Rafai four times if he would renounce the blind Sheikh, in which he refused to renounce him. Lance showed him a video still of him next to the blind Sheikh, and Rafai admitted that that was him, but he denied that he obtained the plans to the World Trade Center or that he had called in sick on the day of the 93 World Trade Center bombing. Rafai stated that he was just a member of the mosque, that he was walking the blind sheikh to an immigration hearing as his translator. Lance then pressed him and asked, well, did you know Mahmoud Abalima? And he said, yes, I know him. Did you know Mohammed Salame? Yes, I know him. Did you know Nidal Ayad? Yes, I knew him. Did you know El Sayyid Nosser? Yes, I knew him. But I do not really know these men. In other words, I was only acquainted with them. At the very end of the interview, Lance asked him at one point, how did you feel about 9-11? Rafai tried to fake a weepy-eyed kind of expression, saying, I went to the park in the town, and I hold a candle for these people. Lance also opined. He started to get like he was remorseful, but not for long, because I really pressed this guy hard. He had a subtle change into a saddened emotion, but not for long, according to Lance. As he kept pressing on Rafai about his relationship with the blind sheikh, after a few minutes, Rafai finally lost it and said, Do you know why the FBI did not discover 9-11? Lance couldn't comprehend, but he responded to Rafai saying, Well, that's what my book seeks to answer. Rafai said, No. Do you understand what my people believe? This is not Bin Laden. This is not the Sheikh. This is the U.S. government doing this for Israel. Lance looked over at the other surprised FBI agents, and they were all stunned at Rafai's statement. Lance said, Let me get this straight. You are saying that your people believe that the 3,000 people were murdered by the U.S. government on behalf of the state of Israel? Rafai made a final proclamation. This is what my people believe. Lance just thought it was absurd, which resulted in the end of the interview with Lance and the FBI agents leaving the house.